You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Russell takes the snap, steps up in the pocket, looks, has time. Now he's going to throw. Tyler Lockett looks for the ball. He's got it. Touchdown, Seahawks! Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. The handoff inside to Carson, starts up the middle, now bounces it across the line. He's in. Touchdown, Seahawks! Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to not only a new edition of Seahawks Insiders, but also to a brand new year. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year, John Boyle. Thank you, Jen. Happy New Year to you, too. Let's hope 2021 brings a little more positivity than the past year. I was just about to ask, what are you most relieved about now that 2020 is over and we can officially turn over the calendar page? It's hard to say. There's a lot of things, but let's just hope we have a healthier 2020 as a country, as a world. Maybe get that vaccine rolled out and get life back to normal a little bit more. I think that would be fantastic because I would love to see among many, many things in 2021, fans back in the stands at games, because can you imagine how loud Lumen Field would have been on Sunday when the Seahawks had A, that goal line stand, but B, got a chance to celebrate the division title? Yeah, I mean, that would have been such a fun game the whole season, but especially that game, clinching the division title at home, you know, some dramatic moments, a goal line stand, a a big fourth quarter touchdown to kind of put the game out of reach that that place would have been rocking. It would have been fun. And as Pete Carroll has said over and over again this year, it's the fans have been missed a lot in what has otherwise been a really special year of football. Yeah. And I found myself, I am super engaged, obviously in Seahawks games, but John, I don't know if you're finding this as I'm watching other games on TV, particularly some of the bowl games. I'm a little less interested when I don't see any fan reaction. And I am surprised by my own reaction to that this year, but it just, everything just kind of lacks that extra little oomph. Yeah. I mean, the fans add a lot to it. It's unfortunate around the country. We haven't gotten to see packed stadiums and that just that really fun communal bonding moment sports gives us. Well, and you know, I think fans in Seattle, as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, sometimes take the success of this team for granted. But again, on Sunday, it was another one of those opportunities to be reminded that the playoffs are something special. Winning a division title for the first time since 2016 was something special. John, what do you think the the most important part of that is or the true meaning behind winning the division is for this team? I mean, for starters, as Pete Carroll always says, that's their goal going into every year. They don't necessarily talk Super Bowl, all these things. But the one thing they have full control over is if you win that division, you're guaranteed at least one home game. We'll see what happens Sunday in terms of seeding. But you get a chance to be home for the playoffs. You get that division crown. You know that guarantees you the playoff spot. But then secondly, this particular year, we talked going back to July and August about what a great division this was, how loaded it is. So to come out on top of this particular division and then all the extra challenges 2020 threw at you to, I mean, I don't think it's a huge coincidence that the Seahawks have both been really good on the field and also been the only team that didn't really have any COVID issues all season. You did have one player who was on IR go on the COVID list but they basically had no distractions from that, which has been very rare in the NFL. And I I just, I think all across the board this year has been a big accomplishment. 
Well, and I think winning a division title against your division rival in the Rams. And and look, I know that they weren't healthy when they finished the game on Sunday, but there's some poetic justice in the fact that a year ago, the Seahawks lost the division title by a half yard. This year, you could look at that goal line stand and say that's where they clinched it by a yard. I guess I took that goal line stand a little bit for granted until I started hearing how all the coaches and all the players say that's one that they're never going to forget. Yeah. I mean, it was, this team has always shown a knack for, you know, as they always say, defend every blade of grass and whether it was Earl Thomas punching the ball out at the goal line a couple of times, he's done it twice in his career or Cam Chancellor in that game against Detroit. Just they've always, you know, they make you earn every last yard. And this one was particularly special because not just the big plays we saw in it, you know, Jamal Adams chasing their running back down from behind at the two yard line and just all the stops after that. But also the situation of the game, it was a seven point game at that point. They, if they go in and punch that in and tie the game, it, you know, has a very different feel. It was, I mean, it was a great moment. And going back to our earlier conversation, it would have been so awesome with fans in there on that fourth down. You know, I guess I just think about all those plays that you referenced and how many times they have come up with that clutch play. And all of those just kind of run together in my mind. But when we really broke down kind of how many times they had to make the stop, how close it was, the play of Jamal and the rookie Brooks and KJ, the veteran, just sniffing out that last that fourth down play there. I guess it is more special than the others. And perhaps I need to stop being so spoiled and it just expect to see those things. We've happen. even we'll seen just... them. We've even <laughs> seen it this year. The stop on Cam Newton with down same end zone down at the goal line. So yeah, they've, this team's always been really good at that. And they get a chance to close out their season against another division opponent, the 49ers. Now, this is the interesting thing about Sunday's game. There's potentially a lot on the line, and then there's potentially nothing on the line. How do you view this one? Because I know that that number one seed is still out there, but there's so much in flux. Yeah, it's it's a weird game because, as you said, it when you kick off that game, all, all these NFC teams are kick, that have – playoff seating at stake kickoff at the same time so when that game starts everything's possible you could get the number one seed but by halftime you might know that you're stuck in the three seed if green bay is blowing out the bears and if new orleans is blowing out uh carolina so as pete carroll said they're gonna go for it they you know they have something to play for still even the two seed without the buy has some value because it gives you an extra home game and look there's also the element that Pete talked about of momentum. This team has been playing really well of late. They've kind of got that cohesion on defense. They're playing really well. So you don't really want to mess with that either. So look, you go for it all out. Maybe either if the Seahawks are up big or if those other games are out of reach, you revisit things at halftime. We saw it in 2016, similar situation. Once you got to halftime, you knew that really you were stuck in that three seed and it was the game down in Santa Clara. They pulled Russell Wilson. They pulled some starters. So is that possible? Sure. But going in this game, they're, they're all out going for the win. Yeah. I would not expect Pete to change that philosophy. And I don't know, even this year, I mean, yeah, I guess you might pull some starters at halftime, but there's just something about this year to me that the discipline has been there for so long that I could see the starters. Even if you know that everything is all locked up at halftime, I could still see them finishing out the game just because this year, more than any other year, you need to stay in that habit and that routine and that mindset. And 
look, even though the 49ers have nothing to play for, this is a team that knocked off Arizona and perhaps prevented them from being in the playoffs this year. And as Pete said, they're still fighting. This is a championship team. You know, they have they have all of that in their heart and their background and, and their experience, their coaching staff, all of that. And for them to withstand all of the, the challenges that they've had and to hold it, you know, and, and be able to come back and keep playing football games where they play really good across the board. I mean, that's just a, a statement of wh who they are. And, you know, Kyle's done a great job with them and Robert's done a great job with the defensive side. They, they, they're very together and, and uh, they're a tough football team regardless of what their record is. And, and that's, that's deep in the, the makeup of the players and the coaches and all that. They, they've got it. I thought it was interesting on his conference call with the, with the Seattle media, Kyle Shanahan said in some ways he's as proud of this year's team as last year's it went to the Super Bowl because look, we talk about every team deals with injuries, but it's been on a whole different level for the 49ers. I mean, if you go click on their roster and look at the IR list right now, the number of big names, starting players, pro bowl type guys on IR they've got their on their third quarterback this week, just so many, unusual injuries for them. And then they've been on the road for a month because Santa Clara County shut down um, any gatherings, contact sport, that kind of thing. So they've had to relocate to Arizona. So yeah, they, you know, they're done playoff wise. They got no shot there. They have a losing record, but they came out and played really tough against a good team fighting for a playoff burst. So Seahawks know they're going to get a team that's still fighting hard, regardless of who's on the field. Well, and they do still have some tough matchups on the field. Yes, I know that C.J. Beathard is going to start. However, you still got to account for George Kittle on offense. Defensively, you've got Fred Warner, who's one of the best linebackers in the league. In fact, Fred Warner looks an awful lot like Bobby Wagner if you start looking at some of the numbers and the way Pete views things. He's a great player. He's the leader, it seems, and, and uh, he's everywhere in the run and the passing game. He's a really good blitzer. He uh, makes big plays, you know, he comes through. Uh, he's a really good football player, and he's, I think they, they, they got about everything you could hope for in, the, in their middle linebacker. And he's and we even talked, wearing, uh, I was going to say, he's even wearing that number 54. So. It... Well, and we talked earlier in the year when they faced each other the first time that Fred has watched Bobby's game for a few years and yeah. that he is trying to play in the style of Bobby Wagner, which – Huge compliment to the seven-time Pro Bowler, but it also means you're not getting easy yards in the middle of the field with that kind of talent there. Exactly. I mean, you look at their numbers defensively. I think Robert Salaza had coaching candidate for good reason. I mean, you look at what he's done, not just with that defense as a Super Bowl team last year when they were one of the best defenses in the league, but to still be really good across the board with all the guys that they've had out. It's it's still a tough defense. It's you know, it's funny though going back to Warner and Bobby Wagner. Right? Bobby Wagner talks about, you know, how he looked up to guys like Brian Urlacher and Ray Lewis. And now he's that guy for young linebackers coming in the league. He's he's that standard that young up and coming linebackers grow up looking up to. And if you are looking at tight ends that you would be doing the same thing with George Kittle is the guy that a lot of tight ends are trying to emulate. George Kittle is also the guy that a lot of DBs are trying to figure out how to stop 
stop. And one of the comments that Ugo Amadi made before the season even started is that he had been training in Nashville and he made a point to train with a lot of different wide receivers so that he could see what different releases look like off the line and then practice his man coverage. George Kittle was one of those guys. Yes, I realized tight end, not wide receiver, but George Kittle was one of those guys and he wanted to make sure that he could handle the bigger guy. Ugo Amadi, 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, He's not the biggest guy. He has done an incredible job in the nickel and Pete said it is showing up that extra work it is showing up on the field yeah he's been he's been matching up well and, and uh you know he really knows how we're playing the different coverages and the techniques and stuff so that he he mixes his looks really well he's hard to figure out he's a good disguiser in terms of pressuring and all of that uh, he, he's not had trouble with the taller guys or the the smaller guys so he's doing good and, and uh he's he's just has banked on his experience and he's learned a lot in, in a short time it's funny to go back to starting the season. We were all so excited about Marquise Blair in that nickel role for good reason. And unfortunately, he went down early. But the Seahawks are very fortunate to have Ugo Mati that you're still getting. You're not just like, hey, we're surviving with our backup nickel. They're still getting really good play out of that position. And as Pete Carroll talked about, he, he just does so many things well. And he can play bigger than his size would indicate. I mean, you don't see him shy away from making those open field tackles. He's, he's really physical despite being a small guy, and it'll it'll be fun. I'm sure we'll see some safeties and linebackers on Kittle as well, but when it is Ugo, I think he'll be up to the challenge. Well, and it's so interesting when you talk about just personnel on the field. Yeah, you expected Marquise Blair out there, who is taller and longer than Ugo Amadi. You also did not expect to see DJ Reed in a Seahawks uniform at all because he was a member of the 49ers when the season started. But you've got two guys that do not fall in that Seahawks stereotypical DB mold but they have been able to, I don't want to say make up for their size with quickness. I mean, that's one of the things that Pete said this week during his, his press conference. But I do think what Pete pointed to was he has to be willing to still use those talents, right? And, and to not be locked into thinking that it can only be a guy with an arm span or a wingspan that looks like Marquise or some of the other members of the Legion of Boom that we would have gotten used to seeing. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that, that's the whole thing with, you can go into a draft or free agency or whatever of like, Hey, this is our ideal. This is what, you know, if we could drop our cornerback to look like Richard Sherman, that'd be great. But they're also willing to look at guys who can overcome certain attributes with other traits. And it's, you know, the example that Pete Carroll pointed out that's most obvious is, Hey, look at our quarterback. The guy's five ten. Everyone said, you can't do that, but he checks every box and then some besides height. And he's had a hall of fame career. And, DJ Reed, you know, not saying he's a Hall of Famer, but he's a guy that he has the quickness, the aggressiveness, the ball skills. He's got everything you need for that position, except he's not quite as tall as they want, but he has more than overcome that since taking over that starting role. And he's he's been just an amazing pickup for a guy that was available for nothing. You just had to put a waiver claim on him this summer. Yeah, it's, uh, that is one of the great stories. It's part of the great turnaround of that Seahawks defense, though. Once they had a chance to play together, it truly is amazing. I know that we're going to keep talking about this for the next couple of weeks, but this Seahawks defense has allowed fewer than 20 points in five straight games. The last time they did that was 2014, and that was in that stretch of seasons where they led the league in fewest points allowed 
They've allowed 15 points per game since week 10. That is down from 30 points a game through the first eight weeks of the season and 34 sacks since week eight. We keep talking about it. And that number keeps going up, not by one or two a week, but at this point it's going up by like three a week. Carlos Dunlap, absolutely a huge part of that just because of what he can bring off the edge. But then there's a trickle-down effect to other guys on the D-line. It totally helps him. You know, I mean, just just the factor of the push just makes the spacing more available, you know, and, and makes the, the quarterback have to move a little bit more. And all of those things help the other guys. And so um, he's been a big factor, and it's not just – you know, just the rushes that he brings. It's really the the difference, uh, the the breakdown of the you know the pocket for the other guys. And, and Jay Reed has has had a, a really good um, run from, from that. And and it, that's a lot of the responsibility is is could be put back on the you know what Carlos is bringing. Yeah, I mean, we see it. It's most obvious maybe at the pass rush, but you see it across football where if you have an elite player who's a matchup problem, and teams start to account for that, good teams will beat you other ways. And Carlos Dunlap has been really productive. He's had five sacks in seven games, but he's also made life easier for guys like Jaron Reed. I mean, a perfect example, one of the sacks the Rams had on Russell Wilson, guy just comes free, unblocked. You're like, man, what happened? And then you watch a replay, and it's two guys are double-teaming double Aaron Donald, leaving another guy unblocked. So when you have that matchup problem like Carlos Dunlap, it makes it easier for everybody else. You go back to games where teams try to shut down a DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett has a big game. Just that's the way good football teams operate. You try to take something away. We do well, and we've got other guys who can beat you. Well, and I don't really know what the game plan is going to look like on either side of the ball on Sunday. What I do know is San Francisco is coming off a season high, 227 yards rushing. They average 7.6 yards a carry. Jeff Wilson Jr., career high, 183 yards. John, do you think that's the approach they try again this week? Or knowing that the Seahawks D has stopped a lot of those run yards, would you expect Beathard to try to throw it more? Yeah, we'll we'll see how they do it. I mean, it's uh, it would make the most sense that they want to run the ball and take pressure off their number three quarterback now that they do have Wilson back. Uh, but, you know, the Seahawks have stopped the run so well all year. You don't want to get yourself in third and long and make that third string quarterback have to be an obvious passing situation. So we'll see how it goes. I would think they'd feel out the run game early on, but you don't want to be stubborn either. So it, to me, that'll be interesting to watch on both sides of the ball because we've seen the Seahawks try to get more balanced, try to run the ball more. They're healthier at running back. But if you look at the numbers, the 49ers have a better run defense and the Seahawks passed on them pretty successfully last time around. So, you know, how do, how do both teams approach this? It'll be interesting to watch. Well, and a couple of things the Seahawks need to do to win the game will be interesting. John is going to give us that in just a minute. But first, I want to remind you to join us each Thursday from noon to two for the huddle hosted by Jake and Stacy, along with Seahawks color analyst Dave Wyman. It's your chance to hear directly from Seahawks players as they prepare for Sunday and preview the game ahead with the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel and our very own John Boyle, who is on the hot seat for two things the Seahawks need to do Sunday to close out the regular season with a win. Well, since we just talked about it, I, I'd like him to stop that 49ers run game and make C.J. Beathard beat you and put him in some situations where you can get the pass rush going and he's having to throw on third and long, second long. So let's say keep it under 110 rushing yards. We'll give him a little bit, but don't don't let him go crazy on the ground. And then other side of the ball, I, I keep going back to this, but stick with it. Just don't give him the ball. 
keep, I mean, this, it's been so obvious all year long. When you take care of the football, they win. When the CX don't, they've lost games. And, you know, again, we go back to this as a shorthanded 49ers team on paper. You should be able to handle them. A good way to let a team into a game that maybe doesn't have business being in that game is to turn the ball over. So Russell Wilson in the offense, just don't give it up. Well, and I'm going to say, why don't you take the ball away? Because the 49ers are minus 10, minus 10 in turnover differential. That's 31st in the NFL. So I'm going to say at least one takeaway by the Seahawks defense. And for the offense, I'm going to say stay on the field on third downs, because what this 49ers defense has done has forced a lot of three and out and three and outs. In fact, fifth most in the NFL, and they are only allowing opponents to convert 35% on third downs. That has been one of those things that Seahawks have been trying to, to figure out all year long. So get those third down conversions, stay on the field and get a turn uh, takeaway. And I think they will come away with a win. I like it. Let's and either it. way, we will be back next week because there is a postseason game to preview whatever that looks like whoever that's against we will have that for you next week when we return with the seahawks insiders podcast